Well, good morning to you today. It is a pleasure and a privilege to be gathered on this glorious morning to worship God together and to come once again to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we prepare to do that today and as I uh, prepare some reflections for you on the subject that we're going to be studying these next several weeks, I want to draw your attention to the word of Jesus as he speaks to us from Matthew chapter 11 in the uh, 27th verses and following. And I'm going to read, if I may, from the message translation simply because it brings alive this very familiar passage in a very fresh way. Jesus asks, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, for I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting upon you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. This is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? And now, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds draw us closer to your heart and to the life for which we have been made. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Do you ever feel like your life is moving too fast? Or like the very weight of all it is that you're carrying as you move through life is really more than is healthy or good for you? From the time that you arise, I imagine most of you are moving and managing and multitasking at an almost unrelenting pace at times. Your inbox, your to-do list, your social streams fill up faster than you can possibly even respond to all of them. Your heart pounds at times with all of the expectations that are there for you at work or the demands that are there for you in your home. You think, if only I just work a little bit harder, a little bit longer, a little bit faster, a little bit smarter, I'll get on top of all of this, but you don't. And actually, you, you can't. So you become, over time, increasingly numbed by it all. Maybe you even self-medicate, trying to bring down the clutter and the clamor and the tension. Or you collapse exhausted at night only to start the whole cycle all over again the very next day. Does any of this sound familiar to you? I recognize that for some of us, this description is overboard. Somehow we have found our place in life, a, an unforced rhythm of grace that keeps us from feeling these kinds of things. But for so many of us in the modern world today, what I have been picturing for you is the norm. It is the new normal. Technology and competition and affluence have started the whole hamster wheel of life, spinning at a pace that's unprecedented before in human history. And we're challenged by it, we're unprepared 
for dealing with it, and it takes its tremendous toll on our soul, our strength, our relationships, our very heart and mind. The underlying experience that we have in our age today is, however, not an unusual one in the human experience. In fact, as the first few chapters of the biblical book of Exodus describe for us in vivid detail, it was the original experience of God's people as well. The ancient Egyptians, like the modern Americans, were a famously industrious people. As you know, so much of what they built survives even to this day. And driven as they were by the exacting demands of their many gods and of their pharaohs, the Egyptians were builders. They built cities, they built farms, they built magnificent monuments. And their major workforce for all of this production and expansion was the Hebrew people, or as we know them, the Israelites. And like a company that just keeps upping the quota for its most effective salesperson, Egypt just kept upping the ante, demanding more and more production out of the Jewish people. At one point, we're told in Exodus chapter 5 that Pharaoh gave the instruction to his foreman. He said, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't Reduce the quota. Just get more out of them. We'll make more this way. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. It's a system in ancient Egypt that demands ever-increasing energy and engagement without real regard for the health of those who are participating in it. And it is a system that is not unlike today in many ways. The media companies and the advertisers and the gadgeteers that are constantly changing the pace and the production values of our time are not going to moderate themselves anytime soon. They are certainly not going to change their approach on our behalf any more than Pharaoh did for the Israelites. The youth sports organizations and the commercial enterprises that have taken Sundays away aren't going to suddenly wake up and say, oh, I see you folks are feeling overprogrammed. I see you don't have anything like enough time for your relationships, for the nurture of your soul, to come before your God. I, I, I see the problem. We'll just back off. We'll just alter our schedules. We'll just lighten your load. No, far more likely, they will keep asking for more bricks as your supply of straw, the stuff that holds it all together for you, is an ever-decreasing supply as you have to work harder and harder to find the stuff that really holds your life together, your relationships together. Unlike the Israelites, of course, Ours is sometimes not so much a forced obedience as a voluntary slavery. We have a voluntary slavery to the systems of our time. In this regard, I'm reminded of Judith Viorst's famous poem, Self-Improvement Program. Viorst writes, I finished six pillows in needlepoint, and I'm reading Jane Austen and Kant. 
And I up, I'm up to the pork with black beans in Chinese cooking. And I don't have to struggle to find myself, for I already know what I want. I want to be healthy and wise and extremely good-looking. I'm learning new glazes in pottery glass, and I'm playing new chords in guitar. And in yoga, I'm starting to master the lotus position, and I don't have to ponder priorities, for I already know what they are, to be good-looking and healthy and wise and adored in addition. I'm improving my serve with a tennis pro, and I'm practicing my verb forms in Greek. And in primal scream therapy, all my frustrations are vented, and I don't have to ask what I'm searching for, since I already know that I seek to be good-looking, and healthy, and wise, and adored, and contented. I've bloomed in organic gardening, and in dance I have tightened my thighs. And in consciousness raising, there's no one who can top me. And I'm working all day and I'm working all night to be good-looking, healthy, and wise, and adored, and contented, and brave, and well-read, and a marvelous hostess, and bilingual, and athletic, and artistic. Oh, please, won't someone stop me? <laughs> she writes. Oh, please, won't someone Stop me as I move on this hamster wheel of life. What is really driving the wheel? What is really increasing the clutter in our lives today? Is it any of those impulses that Judith describes? Is it the fear that if we don't raise excelling kids, we're going to look like losers? Is it the sense that everyone else is doing this, so we must do this? We obviously should be doing this. Is our relentless life fueled by a desire to drown out the cries of some demons inside of us or in our past? Is it some impulse to prove ourselves worthy, lovable, needed? Is it this passion to finally arrive at some Mystical destination always just a little bit further out there. What is this that drives the endless brick-making of our lives? And do we even allow ourselves the time and the space to ponder what it is that lashes us on and enslaves us as so many people, I think, today really are enslaved in one way or another. When I say, as so many people are, I will confess that I'm caught up in this like anybody else. It's almost impossible to live in the world that we live in and not be caught up in this mad dash and rush. It's impossible to grow up in the family I grew up in and not be caught up in this almost compulsive, compulsive, relentless, maximizing instinct that goes on. And sometimes I get feeling sorry for myself about all of this. I feel frustrated with life. I'm weary of the perpetual treadmill. I'm completely overwhelmed, and I fantasize out loud at home sometimes. I'm going to walk away from all of this. I'm going to move to New Zealand and become a librarian. It will be so easy there. 
And my wife, Amy, will hear me say some version of this for the umpteenth time, and she will observe, go ahead and do that, Dan. Feel free to go ahead and do that, but just remember that wherever you go, there you are. And I think, why did I marry that woman? <laughs> and I know it's because she's so often right and is so certainly right about this aspect of my nature. If I'm going to have a different and a better experience of moving through this world, then my best strategy for altering the journey is not to vainly wait for the world to slow down. It's to not, to not keep hoping and wishing that, that, that the outside demands will suddenly lighten up or get a whole lot more simple for me. Because life in Egypt here, or in any other country for that matter, will always be this way. Pharaoh is everywhere. And he will never stop demanding, whether externally or internally, more of us. So my best strategy for a saner, healthier kind of life is to change something in me. If I can bring a purer heart, a clearer mind, a more serene soul, a more refreshed kind of body to the, to the world that I move through, I will experience that world differently. Others will experience me differently if I can change what lies within, because wherever I go, there I am. Do you have a strategy for improving the self that you bring to all of the relationships and the realms of your life? Do you have an actual purposeful pattern, a rule of life for improving and changing and seeing transform that very self, the heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's how the Bible describes the self that you bring to all of the relationships in the realms of your life. If you're familiar with the rest of the story that gets told in the book of Exodus, then you know that God ultimately freed his people Israel from their oppressive bondage to Pharaoh. Uh, through his prophet Moses, God leads his people out of Egypt and toward a promised land. But God is clearly wise enough to know that wherever they go, there they are. And they've already picked up now this pattern, this, this ferocious brick-making uh, pattern in life is now deeply ingrained in the life of God's people. And so God knows that they will not be able to enter into the full flourishing that he has in mind for them without certain things changing within his people first. Because, again, wherever they go, there they are. So God gives the Hebrew people ten vital instructions, commandments, to help to shape a new internal operating system. The ten commandments are code for a new kind of internal operating system that will alter the way we function in the world and will keep the people of God from being damaged, sucked into the external systems of these other cultures through which they will move. The first three of the commandments teach who God is. They teach how God is to be 
worshiped and prioritized because being properly connected to the one who is the absolute source of life is the key to flourishing, the absolute essential to human flourishing. The last six commandments were about how people are to love and live with one another because proper connection with other people is essential to human thriving. The first three are aimed Godward. The, the last six are aimed peopleward. But right between the three keys to loving God and the six keys to loving one another, almost at the, at the cross place of, of, the, of the vertical and horizontal dimensions, sits the fourth commandment. And it is the longest and the most specific of all of the commandments. Why? Because it's the hardest to get. Because it's the keystone. Because it's the crucial nexus for the outworking of all of the other good that God has in mind for his people. So listen to the words of Exodus chapter 20 as I read this commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in him in them. Think of all that God was able to get done in six days. Six days are enough. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. We're going to talk a lot more about the nature and practice of the Sabbath over these next several weeks. But this morning, I want to just lay out, if I can, a few foundational ideas for you to take with you today. First, the Hebrew word Sabbath or Shabbat literally means to cease or to stop. Sabbath is God's answer to Judith Viorst's manic life and desperate prayer, will someone please stop me? Will they stop me? And God says, yes, I will, and I am. For the sake of your relationship with me, for the sake of your connection with other people, for the sake of the health of your own heart, soul, mind, and bodily strength, I, the Lord your God, command you, Judith and Dan, and insert your name, to stop the endless cycle of doing that takes over your life. How many of you ever watch movies at home? Do you ever press pause in the middle of a movie? I do. Probably several times in the course of any given motion picture, I hit that pause button. Why do I do that? Well, sometimes 
It's because I really want to stop and take in the beauty or the goodness of that particular frame. Uh, I think, wow, that's what an amazing vista that is. I just want to savor what I'm seeing in that particular frame. So I stop to study it. Sometimes I hit pause because I want time to think through what just happened, to, to reflect on and, and make sense of what has just gone on in the story, to integrate it into my understanding, to pick up the meaning and allow it to really soak in. Other times I press pause because there's somebody else in the room who needs my full and undivided attention. And I need to hit pause because if I do not prioritize the relationship that I have with that person, my life is not going to go well. And their life will not go as well. Sometimes I, I stop because I just want to calm myself. I want to center myself in order to be better prepared to respond to and take in what is yet to come. I've gotten too worked up in the process. I've gotten distracted. I need to just pause and then purposely move to the next part of the story. Are you seeing where I'm going? Does that make sense? Is that a helpful metaphor for us to begin to work with? Your life and that of your loved ones and God's presence with you is the major motion picture that is playing every week. For the sake of God and your loved ones and yourself, don't blitz through it distractedly. You will not be able to wrench your life again next month or next year. Press pause more often before it's all over. Study and savor your life. Take the time to freeze frame it and study and savor it and to give thanks to the God who is giving this to you. Reflect on and make sense of what just happened and, and draw the lessons that you need to from it. Discover what God is trying to teach you along the journey. Examine it. Give God and the people around you your full attention because when they're gone, you will miss them. You will realize one day when you're sitting someplace in a room by yourself that they were your wealth. They were what mattered. The meaningful thing of life. Devote time on a regular basis to recovering or retuning or refreshing your heart, soul, mind, and bodily strength so that you're going to be better prepared for the next part of the story. This is what Sabbath is all about. This is why it's not an obligation, but life's great opportunity. Secondly, remember that we are meant to press pause for an entire day once a week. Sabbath is to be a 
one full day per week discipline. Sabbath is an attitude as well as a day. We'll talk more about that in weeks to come. But the way you develop the attitude, the way you cultivate the capacity to celebrate the many Sabbaths is by experiencing a full one and experiencing the internal changes that happen as you lean into a full one. I had one yesterday. It was glorious. It was glorious. God commands us to set aside, and that is, by the way, what the word to make holy or phrase to make holy means. It means to set it aside, partition it off, guard it, protect it, dedicate yourself to it. He says, do this for an entire day, once a week, for all of the purposes that I've just described, we're meant to press pause. I am humiliated. I'm embarrassed as a pastor, as a longtime follower of Jesus, to confess how disobedient I have been to the fourth commandment. It's, it's, it's shameful. I have treated the, the fourth commandment as the fourth suggestion. You know, as the, as the fourth option for me. It's the one commandment whose breaking I actually brag about. Oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I'm so fabulously in demand. I'm getting so much done. I brag about it. But think about this. <laughs> if God Almighty himself can rest on the seventh day, take the whole day off, And we are out there acting as if the world cannot possibly go on without our activity. How arrogant and confused are we? In ancient Israel, the decision to violate the Sabbath was viewed as such an affront to God and such an attack on the long-term well-being of the whole community that one version of the fourth commandment reads as follows. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. Is it possible that my inability or your inability to enter into Sabbath rest is already killing us physically, spiritually, relationally by slow cuts. I fear that. But what I fear even more is what we are missing by not pressing pause more often. This past week, I came across the, the story of a, a, of a general in the Persian army who had the custom of giving condemned criminals a, a strange choice just before their prospective execution came. On one occasion, a spy was brought into the general who asked the question, what will it be? Will it be the firing squad? Or will it be the big black door? And the man began to sweat, and he hesitated for a long time. It was a difficult decision. He chose the firing squad. Moments later, the shots rang out, confirming his demise, and the general then turned to his aide standing next to him and said, they always choose the firing squad. 
They always prefer the known way to the unknown way. It is characteristic of people to be afraid of the undefined, yet we gave him a choice. And the aide said, what lies beyond the big black door? And the general said, freedom. Freedom. And I've known only a few brave enough to take it. The last idea I want to impress upon you today before we come to the table is that Sabbath is actually the path to the freedom we're seeking. Like the Israelites of old, many of our, us are living our lives in bondage. We are slaves to a 24-7, 365 days a week. Find you anywhere you are, culture of production and information and consumption and excess. We believe, we've come to believe that we are actually only as valuable as our doing and surrounded by so many people who are doing exactly the same thing, we can hardly even imagine another way. But we do have a choice. Be brave. Let's be brave and walk through door four and find a new kind of freedom. Let's pick one day in the next seven days and go through the Sabbath door. Let's press pause in all of the ways that I've just described and for all the good reasons I've just described and let's just see what God does. Let's see what God does in our life and through our life as we walk on that path. The prophet Isaiah says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, and from doing as you please on my holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it not by going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. Or in the words of the one who so graciously invites us now and meets us now at this table. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest if you press pause. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.